Welcome to part two of episode one of the Chatham Go podcast. Let's get back to the conversation. You know, just from from my personal experience with D.A.R.E. as a child going through that program, I knew that I had family members who were using drugs the way they weren't supposed to. And I honestly felt a lot of shame sitting through those D.A.R.E. programs. So we can't just say don't do it. We really do have to educate and embrace like these are the experiences of people in the world. Yes. And yeah. so, so take that experience that you're just talking about. Mm-hmm. So I was in the third grade. I remember hearing that conversation about, you know, dare and it caused a wall to go up between me and my father because I knew that my father smoked marijuana and I was like, Oh my God. So, you know, um, yes. he is getting ready to be a, you know, full blown drug addict. And, you know, I don't want anything to do with him. Yeah. So I was in the third grade and I wrote this letter to him and I was like, you know what? This is what's going to happen if you don't get yourself together. Third grade. And I believe that that just caused a rift in our relationship that, you know, to this day, we just still have not been able to repair. But I think that, you know, I was on to something a little bit, but I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have the correct information. Even like hearing that. Like that hits me and makes me think of all the different angles that a child could be affected by Correct. that. Like putting that between you and your parent or putting a child in the position of being like, I've got to convince my parent yes. and having, and like a child to having to take that responsibility. Mm-hmm. It's not appropriate. Correct. Um, but then also, you know, like what I described, like feeling like I felt very separated mm-hmm. from my peers because I assumed this wasn't occurring in their yes. homes. Right. Um, well, I think from from my perspective, Dare always taught you that the person that's going to give you the drugs is the guy in the trench coat. Oh, yeah. You know, there was even that commercial in the mm-hmm. 80s with the guy that mm-hmm. rolled up in the white van that yes. was like, do you want to take the pills? And what they missed was drugs and alcohol are more likely to be given to you by friends and family members. Oftentimes, you know, kids are very, very inquisitive. They are, they're all over your house. I mean, what you think they don't know about, they know about. So, so therefore, you know, you trying to hide it from them, you know, I just, you know, I just have, you know, it gives me a lot of anxiety, you know, when people think that their kids don't know that they're drinking. They know that you're drinking. Or I'll never forget, I had this one parent who was like, well, you know, I don't smoke in front of my kids. I said, so you don't think your kids know that when you go out to the shed and when you come back, you're a totally different person? Um, Because kids know. I mean, kids really know. One thing that, you know, as a parent, I've always, just because I came from the era where, and drugs was a taboo topic, And even now, when you talk about, when I ask some of my older clients in their 40s and uh, late 30s about, you know, what was that conversation about drugs and alcohol like in your home? Probably 85% of them say, we did not talk about it. So my position is that before you allow anyone else to shock your children, you talk to them about it. You just, you have those conversations with your children because you don't want that curious, you don't want anyone else to make, to cause curiosity in your child because, you know, then they're going to take it and they're going to run with it. But if you sit down with them and you're talking to them about marijuana, the effects, the cause, you know, the different types, what it does to your body, you know, alcohol. So then when a peer introduces it to them, there's no shock. Right. Because they're like, oh, me and my parents already had that conversation. So I I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. When your kids start having these secrets, parents, you know, don't really notice the small changes. But the changes can be something so subtle, such as, you know, you're normally eating as a family. 
Now all of a sudden your kid is taking his food and going to his room. Like, what's going on in his room? Why why is he not eating at the table with you now? So, you know, you know, I'll, you know, starting to notice, and I know that as parents, I mean, even for myself, I mean, life is hard. It is rough being a parent. It, it is, is extremely busy. rough. So busy. How do we make yes. our brains do all this? And 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 as a parent, being a parent makes your life sometimes inconvenient because you have to stop what you want to do to make sure that your child is doing what they need to do. So whether that need is sitting at a table, you know, with, you know, phones off, you know, having a, a conversation, just checking in on it everybody's day. Rather than you going into your room, watching your show or, you know, scrolling through Instagram or Facebook like you would do, it's inconvenient because we're we're being forced to, you know, be an active parent, be an active participant in our child's lives. And, and it's hard. It's a long term investment into more convenience later. Correct. Right? Because you don't want to have to come and sit with Renita with your child in diversion. Correct. Right? Correct. 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 <laughs> And, and, and the thing about it is, is that I would like to say that I am like 110% proud that I work here in Chatham County because I really do believe that our criminal justice system is really rehabilitative and that we're looking for ways to support um, our youth and our adults and anyone that gets involved in the system here. Um, and that we're, we, we by no chance at all want to be punitive. Now, at some point in time, after a while, you know, it has to be punitive. But I don't think that any of the DAs, I don't think anyone in the court system, that any judge sets out to be punitive from the very beginning. I think they all really want to come from a point of concern and support and trying to figure out, like, what resources do we need to create? What resources do we need to, you know, pass to these parents? Yeah, I do think we've been very lucky. We have some really good judges in Chatham County that are willing to have some of these conversations and and work with families and work with the school system Mm -hmm. when we are trying to help a child and a family kind of identify the right path. I think we've been really, really lucky. I hope we can keep that going. Although I really miss Judge Scarlett. (laughs) I miss Judge Scarlett. (laughs) So your services are voluntary, correct? Yes. People can say, no, thank you. Yes. could a family come in that's not involved with the courts and I say, have. I need help? I have. I have definitely um, provided support to a number of families that um, have no involvement with the court system, but they just need some direction. They just need to know where the resources are. Um, and of course, we want to do that. We want to make sure that you have as many resources to avoid, you know, you coming in on, on the other end of the side. So... um there's, I have so many questions that I want to ask you, but the, I have two primary. One, one, um, what services are you referring young people to around substance abuse needs? So right now we have, um, I have a graduate student um, that um, c- uh, completed the rehab program at UNC. Um, her name is Ms. Madeline Krim. So um, she did the the vaping okay. uh, presentation. So she has been doing a really, really good job with sitting down with the youth. And, you know, um, she even sometimes recognizes when they may need a little bit more mental health. Now, what sometimes is so sad is when she's asking or the parents to call her because she wants the child to get into therapy and the parents are like, I don't, I don't really think they need it. But, you know, so she does, she has um, put together a, a really strong, um, curriculum where it goes everything from drug and education to healthy decision making 
to, so she does a, a like a, a nine or 10 week series, um, based upon that. And it's just very short. Now, if you, um, want something a little bit more intense, you know, we do, uh, we can refer to Daymark or we can refer to a program that I use a lot at, at Duke. Um, and that does that, that has an adolescent program that's pretty intense. Um, so we do refer there. Um, now the, the very sad part about it is, is that, as North Carolina has done raise the age and, you know, now um, youth are, you know, identified as, you know, they're not adults until they're 18. We do not have a lot of stabilization or detox for youth. So that's why it's very. Oh, that's so. OK, so for listeners, raise the age was the move to um, that. 18 to 18. So basically a child, a, someone under the age of 18 who commits a crime has to be charged as a juvenile. They cannot be charged as an adult. Correct. For certain offenses. For certain offenses. Yes. yes. For certain offenses. So that impacted availability of detox programming? Well, it never impacted. It's just that I would have thought in my mind that as they raised the age, they would have thought about what other resources parents may need. Yes. Because if you're, let's just say, um, you know, the reality is, is that right now, you know, our youth are getting into some pretty heavy substances. Um, and some of them may be experimenting with benzodiazepines or opiates. And both of those require a medical detox because, you know, there are things inside of your body that could potentially be um, harmed. So therefore, you want your child or I would want a child to be in a facility that has a medical doctor. Now, if you look throughout the state of North Carolina, like if you were to Google right now, like detox facilities for um, a 17-year-old or for youth, I don't know if you're going to come up with any. I don't think so. In fact, just hearing you bring this up reminds me of some past work that I did before I came to work for the school system. Um, but you could only get detox for kids at uh, the state hospital. Correct. At the state hospital. And that is not where we want our children to go. And it's not even that. Sometimes it's, you know, you want to make sure this is where the conversation goes for with equity. You want to make sure that it's whatever options out there for you that is available to everybody. So right now, if you have a family member who doesn't have a whole lot of money um, set aside, what are their options for detox? And then, you know, another thing that that breaks my heart is, you know, if we don't address it. So when you have these thoughts that your kid may be, you know, um, doing things that they shouldn't be doing, don't ignore it. Try your best to address it or try your best to contact someone that you can have that honest conversation with. Because what you don't want to happen is your child end up becoming um, 18 or 19 years old or even um, 17 and you're drawing out your entire retirement, spending your retirement. Right. And then once they reach those ages, not having the same eligibility for certain resources Correct. and funding. Or, or the thing about it is, is that what, what you know, my heart goes out to is when, you know, you know, rehab is not always a one and done. So, you know, I have had parents who have spent thousands of dollars, like drawn out their retirement, drawn out their 401k, and they're now in their 60s and they can't quit working because they have nothing to fall on. You know, this might seem like an extreme scenario to people who don't work in this world, but I myself have seen that. Several times over, is mm -hmm. that I have as well many because a thirty day stint can cost anywhere between fifteen thousand dollars on up, and like you said, one and done. And if this, this isn't a magic bullet, addiction no. is 
is a life. It it really truly is a lifetime fight. So so therefore, if you can recognize the changes in your child at an earlier time space, then you can probably prevent, you know, having to have those full blown um, conversations where you're literally you know, tapping into your 401k or tapping into or having that conversation with your insurance company because you're like, what? They don't have any detox? And you're like, what am I supposed to do? What am I, what is my kids supposed to do? I mean, I've literally sat down with parents who, um, thought it was safe to detox their child at home and they would mm. sit up with their child while their child's going through night sweats and terrors and the chills and the fever and they're throwing up. And just as a child is detoxing, mom and dad are going through the exact same thing because it's their child. I mean, there's nothing worse than actually watching your child fall and you can, there's nothing you can do about it. Absolutely nothing. But if we as parents can work on um, educating, you know, making sure that, you know, and the thing about it is, is that even as a parent myself, like I said, I have a 15 year old and an eight year old. We never want to feel as though we're a failure. But guess what? We're failing every day. I, I, I promise you, I cry every day because, you know, they need tutoring or they need something. There's no such thing as a perfect parent. And we need to get away, we need to get away from that stereotype that is a perfect parent. Because I think the more that we as parents can, um, embrace the fact that, you know, parenting is a, a progress and it's forever changing and there we're going to have good days and bad days, the more we can come alongside our neighbor or our friend and be honest about what's going on inside of our home. And you never know what your neighbor may have experienced that could potentially help you. But as long as we try to keep that wall up and we try to, um, you know, uh, imagine that our children are having a perfect life and things are going great, then we're not going to be able to, you know, have help. And this is why you're the over diversion. <laughs> you, believe, you believe that we can take our failures and and pivot yeah, right definitely. into moving on. Definitely. Success. Definitely. But, you know, I, I really believe that there's strength in creating that network. Like you creating that network of your friends that, you know, you tackle these issues as a group. So that for, so therefore, you know, your kid knows and his friend knows that, hey, you know, our moms are not playing. Our dads are not playing. You know, they're talking. They, they know what's going on versus, you know, the kids are or the moms know, oh, I don't want my kids how going over Johnny's house because I know Johnny and them do everything. But, you know, if everybody, you know, comes together and we're saying, hey, you know what? The kids come over my house. You know, um, know that, you know, we're not condoning any smoking, any drinking here, but we're going to let them have some fun. You know, they can have as much fun as they want, you know, here in my house, but we're not, we're not condoning those behaviors, but you can definitely come over here. You can chill. You can watch the video games and whatever else is that you may love to do. I, I sense that there's peer pressure uh, to, focused at the parents that if they don't allow their kids to do these things, they're not the cool parents. And so I think we're, we're going to have to work together to get over Correct. that is that if we don't allow this at any of our, any of our houses, then we don't Correct. succumb to that peer pressure. Correct. So we've got to communicate with the neighbors, yes. got to communicate, you know, it, someone I used to talk to um, frequently, he, he said that he would always make sure that he had his daughter's phone number to the place she was going Correct. before cell phones. Where did we, or where, and, you know, the, again, this is something that I'm dealing with on my own terms in my own personal house is that where do our children 
all of a sudden have the audacity that they can tell us where they're going. Part of it, I think, is that we know where they're going. Correct. Because they have their phone on them and they have, you know, find a phone, find my friends, the, mm-hmm. what's the other app, Life360. We can, so I think that parents are kind of put their guard down in that, well, I can figure out what's going on if they're not going to tell me. But, so that lack of communication piece. But, but, but the thing about it is, is that not, not all parents have the same morals. So therefore, you know, yes, Life360 or Lock360, yes, that may work or it may work, but you don't know what's going on inside their house. You know, and I know that my child probably thinks that I am, um, you know, doing too much, but I, I do want to meet her, meet her, um, her friend's parents. I do want to them to visually see, you know, who I am so that if something happens and my child's not acting like she's supposed to be acting, I want them to be able to call me and be like, hey, Renita, she is in here acting a complete fool. You know, can you help me? Yeah. Well, I know my parents, anytime I went anywhere, I had to call as soon as I got there. And if I didn't, they were going to show up. Yeah. Right. But then, but then, and you probably experienced this because you have children too. I'm apparently supposed to put my daughter on the school bus and just believe that she made it to the school. Yes. What? Yeah. No, I mean, so, you know, and, and again, this goes back to parenting is oftentimes inconvenient. Yes. You know, it requires us to do more. This is the this is the hardest job that I ever had in my life being a parent. I definitely thought that, you know, uh, once they get, you know, potty trained and, you know, and they're in school, that it's kind of smooth sailing, but it's not. No. You have to stay tired the whole time. Yes, extremely tired. You're like, what? You know, I mean, is the, is the TV still going on at 12 o'clock at night? Uh, please turn, turn it off. You have school tomorrow. Right. In my opinion, I think that parents need to, once they start having these thoughts or they have these, you know, just small thoughts that their child may be having some type of behavior, have a talk with a, with a professional. See, one of the things that I was told the parents that would contact me and says, I, I want to drug test my kid. I would say, well, it sounds like you already know your kids. Using drugs. You're trying to catch them. Yes. Why don't you just go ahead and have that conversation, Correct. whether it is or without them testing positive to say, this is, we need to start this conversation. I say, cause the worst case scenario is that it starts an argument or a fight in the house. And the thing about it is, is that if your child is smoking marijuana and you can smell it and the child still says no, like, what type, like, what's the culture in your home right now? You know, um, are they afraid to tell you? And, and if, if they are afraid to tell you, then I, w- I want to ask my child, like, so if you are smoking and I find out, what do you think is going to happen? You think I'm going to love you less? You think I'm going to, um, what do you think is going to happen here? You know, regardless of what you're doing, I am always going to be your mother. Always going to be your mother. But, you know, if something, and, and I know that right now, most kids think that smoking marijuana is like the cool thing to do. It is the coolest thing in the world to do. And that's for right now. But let's just talk about what is going to happen to your future. Like, what do you really want to do with your life right now? And, you know, for some kids, they're like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Well, then, you know, let's give them something to do. Because usually they're smoking large amounts because they have nothing to do. You know, start start getting them to volunteer. Start your chore wheel around the house. You know, start, you know, again, parenting is inconvenient because then you have to check and make sure that they did whatever it is you asked them to do. And what you said is so true about this generation is that, you know, 10 years ago, 
kids were like, I'm going to college. Whether they were going to college or they weren't mm-hmm. going to college, they said, I'm going to college. I want to go to college. But more so in this generation, uh, the younger generation, I, I don't necessarily feel they know that or no. they want that or where they're going or what they're doing. So they're a little bit more in the world being like, what should I do? Mm-hmm. And so then, you know, that's where, again, you have to involve them in, you know, those um discussions. And, you know, again, it takes more time out of the parent because you've got to literally invest in your child and be like, okay, so my child has no clue what, what he or she wants to do. So um, let me call around to some friends and see, you know, if they can, you know, maybe go volunteer at their job, you know, this summer, or if they can do X, Y, and Z. But it really does you having to, you still have to constantly invest in them and kind of figure out or sometimes it's noticing what your child is good at because maybe they can't see what they're good at. You know, maybe they're good at, you know, um, and some kids are really good at, you know, YouTube and social media. If that is their outlet, you know, help them turn that into something lucrative. Or have them learn that maybe that's not what they want to do. Correct. It is a lot of work. Once mm-hmm. they get their first video made or that first Correct. podcast made, maybe that's not what they want to do. Correct. And then we move on to something else. Correct. Just because they say it once doesn't mean they're going to be stuck Correct. on that idea. Correct. So, you know, it's, it, but again, it's, you know, and I can't stress this enough, parenting is hard because you have to literally sit there and go through the process with them. I think that that should be a tattoo. Yes. Parenting is inconvenient and I hard. Have, I need a bumper sticker. There I need to put it, put it on my car. <laughs> I think it's important with for parents to also hear that when they don't have a lot of time and things are very inconvenient, that they're that that's what's why it's important to build that network. Correct. Because it does take a village. Yes. Whether that's figuring out your neighborhood group, your family group, you know joining organizations in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have Boys and Girls Club where kids are going to get exposed to some good stuff and right. stuff through the Y. Remember that while we want to take the time to do all these things um, and it can feel very inconvenient, remember that there it like Chatham is great with this too. Like we are a community and there are options for that. So if anyone out there wants to know anything about that, you can reach out to um, us at the schools and Renita probably has lots of information. Well, so that was actually my next question. Okay. How do people get a hold of you, Renita? Um, You know, they can call me um, on my um, office number. My office number is 919-642-1213. They can call me, leave me a message. They can email me. Um, And some some parents text text me. You know, and the thing about it is is that, and I worked with families that, you know, Maybe in the very first conversation, they were like, ooh, she is not what I need. But then they come around like maybe. Then their child catches a charge. <laughs> then she's what you need. But then, they're, they, but then they realize that I'm really coming from a point that, you know, our children have so much potential. And it's buried potential until we help them uncover, you know, the options and, you know, their desires and what they want to do with life, you know. Um, but, you know, at the same time, it's, it's such a complex thing because we can't force our values and our issues and our dreams of what we thought we were going to be on our kid. So it, it really is an open and honest conversation. But I cannot stress enough 
that there is value in unity amongst other parents. Because you really, because I mean, sometimes I don't know about other parents, but sometimes being a parent can be very depressing because of the fact that, you know, things are, are not going the way you want them to go. Or your child may be getting into some trouble and you isolate yourself. And when you start isolating yourself, you're creating depression and you're creating mental health issues within yourself. But and I know that you want your neighbor down the street or your kid's best friend's mom to know that, you know, you're a great parent. But, you know, um, is it important to know for people to think that you're a great parent or is it important to know that your child is OK and, or that you're doing the right thing for your kid? So I think that, you know, we um, as parents um, just need to be open and vulnerable to other parents so that we can come together and build um, networks um, and support systems for our children and for ourselves. Well, Rita, I really appreciate your time. This has been a great conversation. You're welcome. And Emily, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. And It was so fun to talk to you. Thank you. And thank y'all you. can't see this, but her hair is awesome. It's so on fire. <laughs> so it's been a pleasure just to sit across from you. And- we truly appreciate you joining us today. Want more information about substance abuse prevention in Chatham County? Check out Chatham Drug Free on Facebook or www.chathamdrugfree.org. Join us for more episodes in the future. This is Rob Schooley and Emily Long signing off. And away we go.